Before we begin, we'd like to note that the views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or any of its components, including the U.S. Army, Navy, and Marine Corps, nor do they represent the views of any other agency of the U.S. government. listening to Combat Exclusion, where we explore the realities of the U.S. military's gender integration efforts. I'm Chandler, former Army officer and 2017 West Point grad. And I'm Johanna, an aspiring judge advocate and 2018 West Point grad. Thanks for joining us. And people are dying and they're like, we're not slowing down because Mary's Mary's at the front and she's doing it. Well, there's just some tough women. They were strong and they just had the strength and endurance. And then of course, you know, you, you had to, to get through some of those years. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. Colonel retired Mary Forbes graduated from the United States Military Academy in 1983, which made her one of the earlier classes of women graduating from there. She also graduated from the U.S. Army War College in 2006 and served on active duty with the U.S. Army in the Washington Army National Guard for over 26 years. She currently champions federal and state initiatives to end veteran homelessness. Her efforts have resulted in communities greatly expanding their capacity to serve homeless veterans and significantly reduce the number of homeless veterans in the state over the last four years. She also happens to be our very own Joe's mother, which is awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, um, for the purpose of this this, uh, recording, I'll definitely be calling you Colonel Forbes, but um, for those of you that don't know, like Chandler said, this is my mom, so this is a very special um, interview for me to do, and so I'm just going to go ahead and open up to you, ma'am, and to talk a little bit about about yourself, what made you want to join the military, and then kind of talk a little bit about how your career played out over the course of 26 years in the Army. Awesome. Well, back when I was in high school, I, you know, there was a group of, uh, you know, I think it was actually Navy cadets that came around and talked about academies. And I thought, wow, that would be so awesome to, to serve in the military. And uh, as you know, that was probably in 1978 and 79 was going to be the first year that women or it, women joined and uh, started in 76. So I was uh, planning this for 1979 when I graduated high school. So it was really just an opportunity that I saw to be able to have a, a, a career pathway there was pretty good wages, health care, uh, and that was the prime uh, prime reason. And I came from a very rural agricultural area in northeast Pennsylvania. And my dad just always said, Mary, you this would be an awesome pathway and, and emphasize those things I just mentioned. So, you know, as I got uh, got into the military, uh, it was really a lot of fun. And I think uh, it was fun because of three things that I I would would emphasize for anyone going in. One, you you've got to know your tra- trade. You got to be competent and you got to be confident, right? Uh, to fit in, you also have to be like, and that includes physically. Uh, you know, you can't just know your trade by the by the army regulation or the army doctrine, but you have to be physically fit. And I was blessed with that and and had great uh, great skills there. And then you just got to generally fit in. And you have to be able to fit in with this uh, this culture and want to be there. And I wanted to be there, and I think that was really why I one of the you know the, the, these reasons is why I was successful because anywhere I went, I always seemed to be able to fit in, have conversations, tough conversations. But at the end of the day, I did my job, I did it well, and uh, that always mattered. So uh, as you know, spent about six years on. Title 10 active duty and was blessed to see opportunities in Title 32, which is uh, by constitution, the governor has has the ability to have uh, its own forces to, for fire, floods and terrorists and many other things. But uh, so I, I was an active guard reserve position in the Washington Army National Guard, and I, I was able to transition into a new unit there that was uh, military intelligence uh, linguist unit. So I had worked with that unit before I got effective duty. So it was a natural fit. Uh, and that began my career in the Army National Guard. And uh, 
again, just a lot of very interesting and unique uh, opportunities there uh, to not only work in a military role, but in the community, right? The guard sports, the community. So anyway, I'll stop there. It, it was a great time and uh, lots and lots of stories as you probably can imagine. Yeah, and we hope to kind of get some of those out of you. So um, we'd love to talk firsthand about kind of beginning, the beginning, your experience at West Point. Um, so obviously you were one of the earlier classes of women at West Point. So what was that like? Well, you know, you don't know any better when you, you don't know any better, right? So for me, <laughs> you know, I just remember it was physically demanding and there were up women, upperclassmen, which was great. Uh, but I do remember, you know, everyone looking at you, right? Like everyone was focused on you, looking at you, you know, uh, there was only maybe five, 6% that were women and any woman that could not physically keep up, first of all, you know, that was just an eyesore and, and uh, so forth. But I do remember having a lot of fun because I did like that kind of stuff, right? You know, hiking, you know, hiking, you know, was a road march, you know, is same, same thing you do now, you know, you start off at whatever, two miles, and then four, six, eight, 12, whatever, I mean, the same, pretty much the same thing, a lot of marching. Uh, and I remember laughing, I remember laughing at the cadences, you know, they would sing the most silly cadences, I remember, you know, with the coffee tastes like turpentine, and you know, chicken falling off the table and a little bird on the window getting his head smashed. I mean, I, I just remember laughing about this stuff going, are you kidding me? Right? Like we have to sing these things, but it was funny. Uh, and it seemed to be a, what, what my soul needed at that time. Uh, it was once you hit academic year, it's taxing, right? It's taxing for everybody. And I did really, really well my plebe year, except for writing. I did terrible in writing. Okay. <laughs> It was very, did not have a good background in the English literature. Um, and so I, uh, I just remember getting straight F's for the first couple tests. I mean, I think they just harassed us and later on even learned, yes, they were. But uh, I had this instructor and he's like, Mary, you got to come to English like on your, you know, your periods off. So literally I went to English seven periods a week. So anytime I had a period off, I was going to English which was, you know, okay. I ended up, I remember I finally got like a C towards the end. And then I think I got a C on my, so, you know, I had straight A's and then like a C in English, but you know what I made the Dean's list. And, um, you know, I, I feel, I, I don't know, there was a lot of happy things in those days and a lot of things we used to get away with that you can't now, you know, there wasn't social media. So we would do pranks, like go to the mess hall, steal all the plates and go put them out on the parade field and stay a skull beat Navy. Right. Like, Nobody knew what we did and we would just do some crazy stuff like that. So, you know, very positive. Um, do you want me to talk a little bit about later on when I was a first year? Yeah, we definitely want to hear about some of the stories. I know them and I'm excited to share them with the people, but I do want to go back to something you said. And that was that um, you, there were upperclassmen women in, went, went, by the time you got there. So you were the fourth class of women, right? Class of 83. So right. at the time there were women in every class above you. So did you find that there was like those connections and then with the upperclassmen women, and then, uh, and then what, what was that relationship like and that, that mentorship or that, that leadership like, and then um, how was um, your leader involvement, especially when you were like an underclassman getting through those, those really challenging um, periods that you went through? Yeah, so we, yeah, I, I was very fortunate, fortunate the first summer at Beast to have a woman as my squad leader. And that really was helpful because, you know, it was like encouraging, like you have to have, you got to get this right, whether it was shoe shining or, you know, doing road marches is like always just in, in a positive way, like, like you can do this this is how you do it. Here's how to do it to be successful. I mean, drinking water, I mean, just some basic things, right. But just encouraging. And I think that was, that was helpful that you could see another woman being successful ahead of you. I think the other big thing that, um, you know, right then we were, when I got into the academic year, the lacrosse team was just starting up. And so my roommate was super good lacrosse player. She played in high school and she's like, Oh, come out for this team. I'm like, okay, don't know anything about it. Uh, but that uh, enabled us to be close to other women. And uh, that was a lot of fun to be on the lacrosse team. I was really good at it because I could run really fast and I was able to pick up pick up the cradling. And uh, so being around upper class there, I, it was a great experience. And there was just some tough, tough women 
Um, Fluke was one of them. There's just some tough women. They were strong and they were just had the strength and endurance uh, that, of course, you know, you, you had to, to get through some of those those years. So uh, I think that was very powerful experience. One thing that is disappointing, there really weren't very many women officers. You know, I remember one woman officer and um, her nickname was Bunny, you know, or something like that. And it was like just we just didn't have enough of women and not that anyone was not bright, but um, it was hard to uh, hard, hard to see officers in that role as women. Uh, but there was a lot of awesome men. I mean, there were a lot of awesome men officers and NCOs that really supported us. And that was really important because, you know, you often hear ones that don't, right? But like they're outliers and, and there were just great ones, whether it was my tech in the younger years or later on instructors uh, that turned into helping me in that on active duty when I went on active duty. Uh, the uh, the Commandant, you know, when I was at first D as on Brigade South, so the Commandant, General Mooring, I mean, just super positive, energized folks that treated you, uh, you know, held standards to you, encouraged you, mentor you, and allowed you to go out there and, you know, make things happen. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. That's something we've heard, I think, kind of across the board is always the presence of these positive male mentors, and it's always really nice to hear that, um, especially so early on. Could you talk to us a little bit about your first duty station and what it was like being assigned to a maneuver unit at a time when that really wasn't supposed to be happening? Yeah, it was really fascinating. Well, my first, very first uh, duty assignment, I was in an MI company and uh, we were habitually attached at that time to a brigade. And so my company commander, very positive individual, but was a little bit, didn't really have the energy to keep up with whatever. So we were going to a very important meeting. And the first day I get there, he says, Mary, I want you to go to this octaflow focus meeting, which is like, was the big divisional rotation where the whole division goes to, to Yakima and trains. And he says, Mary, go to this brigade level meeting. And I'm, you know, okay, you know, and I have to find the building, you know, we didn't have GPS back then. And I like literally still remember like, driving around looking for whatever building number, you know, they're always three or four digits long and you're driving around, you find a parking lot and I walk into this little building, which is still over on Fort Wood, which is so cute. And I walk in there and I'm like looking around and I find the room and, and I, I start to walk in and there's this big, tall captain standing there and he just goes, what do you want, Lieutenant? Well, I'm here to attend this meeting. Stand in the back. Like, I, I remember looking up at him because he was quite tall and, you know, I had things going through my mind and I always would smile. And just as I'm smiling at this guy, someone yells, hey, Mary, come over here, sit by me. I look over and it's uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bowman, who was a Brigade XO at the time, didn't know that. He was my history professor. I spent a lot of time with him. Uh, I would go over his house. So it just melted the whole situation because, you know, it's stress con alpha at this time, you know, it was all men in this room. This is all men, you know, all the battalion commanders were there, all the sergeant majors, there maybe was a, maybe a signal lieutenant or something like that. And then me, right. A woman. Right. And so like that was the support that thank God I had. I always, I had, I really feel I had a lot of good leaders around me that, that uh, created that, uh, you know, ability from, you know, kind of set the conditions so I can make things happen. They didn't do things for me, but they set the conditions, right? Like how, how awesome was that? And I remember him explaining what Octafoil was and what the requirements were. And so, you know, uh, so you have to kind of fast forward a little bit and, you know, think later on Then I wanted to be, that was, I was in an MI company. I wanted to be an S2 and don't quite remember how this happened, but I just marched into an air defense artillery battalion. And that particular battalion commander was a West Pointer class of 68, Bill Kunzman. And he, he, he just recently retold me this story. He goes, Mary, you came in, you wanted to talk to me. And I, I came in there. I said, sir, I want to be your S2. And he said, Mary, it's an all male unit. I said, I don't care. I can do it. I can keep up. I blah, blah, blah. So he had to go to the division commander at the time. And and uh, get permission to do so. And, you know, basically was like, okay, you know, Bill, you can do this, but if you deploy, you know, you're going to have to like, uh, 
you know, reassign her. And, and I guess Bill Kunzman was thinking, yeah, no, we'll figure it out. You know, Mary will come up with something and we'll, we'll bring her. So anyway, that was super awesome to be in an all male unit. You know, back then it was coded P1. It was male only with 750 men and me. And that was an intense experience because we would go on these hellacious runs. We would, I mean, we would play basketball for two hours. I mean, I'm not kidding you. It was intense basketball, but then he would go on these runs and we would run down to Solo Point, which is a very steep incline down to the Puget Sound from Fort Lewis on the north side. And uh, we would be coming up this and this grade, I don't know what this grade is, but it is very steep and people are dying and they're like, we're not slowing down because Mary's Mary's at the front and she's doing it. You guys, you know, need to tighten it up and we would keep going. And so those are the kind of things we would do. We would, we would have relays from Mount Rainier, you know, and, and against other 88 battalions that were all male. And it was just, it was just an awesome experience because that battalion totally supported me as an officer. Uh, but again, you know, thinking about, I fit in, I was super physically fit. I knew my trade and, you know, I never, you know, we would go to the field. I would be in the same tent as my guys. I mean, we figured it out, right. You guys figure it out now, right. We figured it out. It was no big deal. I, 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 um, you know, I just commend the people that were around me that set the conditions and, and, and just uh, believed in, in women and, and so forth. And, and then after that, then I had the opportunity to go back to an infantry brigade and, and serve as a company commander of an MI company here at Joint Base Lewis-McClure, back then only Fort Lewis. But going back uh, and uh, working directly for, you know, infantry, supporting that infantry commander who was General Blackwell, and he went on to be a four-star, and he was a hard ass, if I could say it. I mean, he would get in your face. I mean, back then you got to realize people would get in your face. Like, I mean, close, close in your face. And they would just try to intimidate you. It would be intimidation, try to bad mouth you and, you know, just try to riddle you. Well, he, he tried it a couple of times. I remember this one time it was so funny. We're out at brigade and out at out of brigade talk. And he comes up to me and he's like, what time's your SPs and this and that. And he's just like grilling me. You know, I'm a company commander and be this 06, super tall, looking down at you. And I'm like, sir, it's this, this and exactly this. And this is when we leave. And this is what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. But he's like, I don't believe you. And he drags me over. I just remember he's just like, he's just a character. He drives me over to this like board and we look at it. And he like looks at it. And he's going across. And he's like, okay, right. So that was like one test. Then another time he does something similar. We're in a brigade meeting and, you know, you got all the battalion commanders, you know, you got old old fives and then this, he is an old three. And he's quizzing me about something about like our chalks and, you know, something safety, this and again, he's like, Forbes. So I answer. And then like, after that, he never messed with me. But like, it was this thing where you like had to get through like this vector of, you know, okay, like that person knows. So then, you know, take that forward a little bit further with, with Colonel Blackwell, we go to Korea, we go to Korea on a team spirit. And so we don't take everybody, but we take it quite a few people. And uh, we, we get over there and we're, we're doing this uh, at some point there, we're going to do a deception operations and I'm a company commander. I'm an MI company commander and we're doing the operation and Blackwell just goes, Mary, you're the deception commander. You're going to have a, a, a armored tank from a Korean tank battalion. You're going to have signal, you're an SF, you're going to have one of those, you know, noisemakers. Uh, I mean, I had all this stuff and, and I remember um, the XL later telling me, goes, Mary, when you started reporting in, because I remember we relocated, the tanks joined around us, you know, here I am, an MI company commander, kind of rep, trying to replicate a brigade talk, basically, right, and, and brigade movement, and he, he said, Mary, when you started reporting in, as a woman in accounting, you know, got my tank battalion, got my, you know, got, he said the whole talk went quiet. He said it was like unbelievable. And so that, that's just the, but 
that's so cool because like you think about it, he gave me that ability to do that. He trusted me. He knew I was competent and capable. You know, there was just no question. Uh, other folks, who knows what they thought. They never talked to me about it because probably would have ripped their face off. I could tell you a story about that, but you know, those are the things that, um, God, I was just so thankful for a lot of men that were around me and that they gave me that ability to go out and make things happen. And, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> that, that was great. I mean, th- th- there were some stories in there that I don't think I've heard in a while. So I, 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 I like hearing them. I think there's something I wanted to ask you and it's something we've asked a couple other people and you've, and you've reiterated a couple times. And that was about physicality um, and how important that is to being an army officer and just the experience that you had. And, and so the question I want to ask is how often did you feel um, pressured to be like on your top of your game physically? Like, did you ever feel like you couldn't ever slip up? Um, and, and, and what, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I always knew I had to be like multiple times better than the next person next to me because I was being looked at and graded and, you know, uh, my mistakes were multiplied multiple times. Uh, I, I definitely felt that over and over again. But on the other hand, I wanted to always do well. Like, you know, I look back and think, you know, I always was striving. I loved being in shape. I loved working out. It was a great way. I, I felt good about myself. I, you know, it gives you like that, you know, that beautiful high when you're after you get done running or swimming or whatever it was. So I definitely felt that, and especially as I went through the years and, and through promotions that uh, I was achieving amazing things and, and that, you know, wasn't not I wasn't getting credit for it, but, you know, it just it didn't seem like it put me ahead of folks. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's it, it was it, it was uh, difficult at times, you know, to just see other other folks that um uh, they just, just weren't, just weren't doing achieving, achieving uh, outcomes, you know, to me, it's outcome based, you know, what, what are you actually achieving? Right. You know, and uh, it used to, you know, I'll just talk a little bit about, you know, definitely, I always felt there was a good old boy network because, you know, was it, it wasn't not maybe on purpose, but, you know, they're all working out together and maybe, you know, doing their locker room talk and they're, they're always, you know, together. And, and like, I'm, I'm married. I'm not going to like, you know, be doing social things with folks, uh, you know, on a regular basis. So I really felt that uh, I, I was an outlier in that sense. And that was just the way it was, you know, um, again, maybe not by on total purpose, but definitely that's just what it was. You know, I was not part of the good old boy <laughs> network. <laughs> and some of it was because I wasn't, I didn't want to play stupid games. I didn't want, I had very high standards. I didn't, I didn't put up with, I didn't put up with folks maybe as politically correct as I should have at the time, as far as, you know, somebody said something to me. I remember one time as a, a recruiting battalion commander, as a hard-ass job, as a very hard-ass job back in the day and, you know, even going through 9-11. But uh, when I first took over, uh, you know, some of these battalion commanders, they're just arrogant. Some people are just arrogant ego. And that does not matter women, but at the time it was a lot of men. And I remember one one uh, particular battalion commander came in and he just, he was just being arrogant, you know, and it's like, okay, I can recruit, I can recruit. Now we were the, we went from being 35th in the country to being the second in the country. I mean, we couldn't beat Guam, but that's okay. Uh, but you, you can only recruit so much. On the other hand, you got to retain, right? You have to retain. That is a battalion commander's responsibility, company commander. That is not the recruiting commander's responsibility. So so it was just a little challenging conversation. And then afterwards, my, my operations sergeant who was infantry came up and said, ma'am, if you were a male, that conversation would never happen. And it would not, and if it did, it wouldn't have been like that. And I just really always appreciated that because there was just a lot of taxing conversations that I had to have. And I had to say, you know, stop, you know, you're better than that. I'm not listening to you. You, you got, you, you got to reach down and, and, you know, whatever, and make stuff happen yourself. I'm not, I'm not taking responsibilities for your lack of action. Um, and so there were, there were a lot of situations like that where just, you know, and you'll see it too now in the military, you know, there's that, like I said, there's this intimidation factor, there's this bad mouthing factor and, and it blaming factor. And when I, when I start seeing that my hair goes up in the back of my head and I just have to say, stop, you know, I'm not, I'm not listening to that. 
I like that you talked about retention because that's kind of a big focus of this whole project is that we want to make sure that the Army's recognizing what issues are there, both pervasive among all service members, but specifically female service members so that we can have strong women in leadership positions, hopefully, in right. these roles in the future. Um, I would love to hear the story about you ripping someone's face off. I don't, <laughs> you seem so nice. So I would love to hear about it. Well, I think, I think uh, Johanna's better at it than me, but uh, this, this happened actually twice. The first, the first time, or the one time that I'm most glorious is that I was with that ADA unit, it's all male unit, and we're out on this big, big run, you know, it was a battalion level run. And I'm out in front running with battalion staff and we're, we're walking by and there were some soldiers lallygagging on the side, obviously from a different unit. And they started catcalling to me and, and I'm, I just peeled out of there and I went over there <laughs> and I just stood that guy at attention. And I just said, you know, you can't do that. You failed to meet the standards. Like, you know, you are, you're going to get in a big trouble, whatever. You know, I said a bunch of stuff, but apparently I said it very loudly because my battalion commander just, he, he always tells the story. In fact, he just told Emily and Rachel the story again the other day. Uh, but I just ripped him up because it's like, you can't do that. You know, like you can't cat call at women because I'm the only woman in this formation. Right. Like literally, I'm the only woman in this formation. I'm out in front, got battalion staff out in front. You got a whole battalion behind you. And this guy's catcalling. Are you kidding me? And then I just, you know, ran like heck and got back in formation, didn't think anything of it. You know, in fact, probably kind of forgot about it till he's reminded me a couple of times the last couple of years. He said, and I think Johanna heard that story. <laughs> but one of the other times, the first time it happened, I was at West Point and I was running up in the housing area. And, uh, you know, out doing my PT and this NCO standing at his, on his porch and he's like catcalling to me and he's whistling. He's saying, Hey, nice legs or something. And I just did an about face. I went back, I got on his sidewalk. I said, you can't do that. You know, I got your house number. And, uh, you know, that was it. I went back, told my tack. I don't quite know what happened. I never really asked, but, um, that stuff happened, you know, that stuff happened and you just had to be strong enough. And at the time, like, you know, I just, I, I knew it was wrong and I just reported it and I didn't let that become who I thought I was. Right. Like, and that's the really strong thing about any of this is you have to know who you are. You have to know you're better than that. You know, just because, you know, I'm, I'm in my role that I am now or anything, you know, this stuff happens. This, this stuff happens all the time where someone has an opinion or they, they do things like this and you just have to be able to say, stop, uh, get, you know, know who you are and, and get above it. Um, but yeah, that was, that was one time. I remember another time too, I have to tell this story. I don't know if I ever told this to you, Johanna, but we're in a brigade talk. And this is when I was back when I was the second Lieutenant, maybe I was a first Lieutenant by now we're in brigade tack and we're in this uh, you know, again, my company commander wasn't there, right? He should have been, it was a brigade. I was, the only, it was an MI. I was like the only woman in this tent out, you know, out somewhere in the South Prairie of Joint Base Lewis McCord. And uh, the S3 of one of the battalions starts accusing uh, the MI company of doing something like jamming. And because we were jamming, we were listening to people, right? That was the kind of equipment we had in the MI. And he, and he, and I just like right after the meeting, I went through and I like just threw the chairs apart and I went right up to him. I'm like, you cannot make those accusations. You do not know. You do have no evidence. Like you cannot do that. Don't ever do that again. If you ever do that again, we're, we're going to have a meeting with blah, blah, blah. And, you know, <laughs> some of my male counterparts at the time, they, they just... Yeah, afterwards they said, Oh my God, Mary, we thought the chairs were gonna scatter, right? Because I literally just <sighs> he knew I came for him. So never had any trouble with him afterwards. But you know, anyway, thanks for <laughs> if you all ever wonder about why I am the way that I am, I mean, here's my mom. But <laughs> I <laughs> mom, I I definitely wanna um so we definitely want to get into a little bit, um, a few other topics, but before I move on from this, I did want to ask, um, cause 
addressing breaches of, you know, harassment like that towards you is a really difficult thing. And young lieutenants, I know I did like have struggle with standing up to that and, and, and saying, Hey, that's not okay. And a lot of times women either find other coping mechanisms to either avoid or, or, or move away from that, whatever it is that's bothering them or or harassing them. Um, And so can you kind of talk about why, why you felt empowered to, to stand up to people who harassed you, especially if it was someone like an NCO and you're a cadet and you're not necessarily in a position of power, like where, where do you feel like that came from? And then what advice would you give for young women today to, you know, feel like they can do that too? You know, I don't know where it comes from. You know, I just have this resolve that you, you know, people are better than what sometimes they act. Uh, Sometimes I've done things I probably shouldn't have done. And I was a little maybe too confident. But um, I think that it's just important for folks to, you know, sometimes you could say, uh, stop. You're better than that. What you're doing right now is wrong. Or even just say, stop. You're better than that. And that gets that person thinking. Uh, You know, I've had other cases where, you know, someone might put their hand on me and like it just was creeping I'm like stop like don't do that stop that's better you're better than that like I don't even know if you know what it was but and I don't know where it comes from but you you do have to uh have that endurance within you to be able to know what the boundaries are right and just be able to recognize that if you say stop then they'll probably stop you know, there are obviously our perpetrators that, that might not, but just being able to say something simple and being able to say it with resolve is very important. And, you know, you could rehearse that, like, what's wrong with that? Like we rehearse a lot of things. We practice a lot of things, PT, whatever, PPG test, you know, you, you look at yourself and just, if you have someone that's being, you know, being there in the wrong place or saying something wrong, just practice saying that, stop, you're better than that right? How simple is that, right? Um, but I'm not sure I answered your question, but that's that's where I come from. I still get tested. I get tested even now. Uh, it doesn't stop just because you're, you know, even if you're in the military or not, there's always people that maybe they just don't understand boundaries, or maybe they didn't have the right bringing up, or didn't ever, no one ever told them, like, no one ever, they ever, you know, so anyway. I'll stop there. Did I answer your question? You did. I, I think that the power of just the one word, the stop and the rehearsing it, because um, that helps build confidence. And if it's something simple and, and knowing you can just say something straightforward and 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 use that in your toolkit, um, there's a lot of different method, methods. And I, and I think that's a really powerful and very simple and, and effective. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. And I think that's also super practical, right? We don't a lot of this is high level, so we love some practical nuggets of wisdom, especially given that something that we've found kind of in a lot of our interviews is the problems that exist can at times be cultural. And if it's a cultural problem, having the ability to kind of just build confidence within yourself and address it helps helps correct that culture. And it helps long-term those really small interactions, they build and it creates a better experience for everyone, I think. Um, obviously you have your daughter here and then you have her, her siblings. So you have three daughters currently serving in the army. How has watching their journeys kind of put your experience into perspective for you? Well, I am super proud, obviously. I'm super proud of their, uh, you know, the work that they're doing and the challenges they take on day and night. And, you know, but often I'm reminded that, you know, army military wherever you're at it's just you know it's 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 just a microcosm of the whole you know world type of thing and so the issues that go on there um sometimes i'm a little bit frustrated that they're still going on and it's the year 2020 something and i think why 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 is this happening but then i go well you know like every day there's young people coming in and there's new you know folks are retiring and so like you know it's a, it's a constant, right? And so like, I, I hope that we have, we're building strong leaders and folks that are resilient because 
the issues today, you know, they're similar. You know, there's always going to be uh, issues and, and tension and drama. And if you can get above it and you could, uh, you could uh, really set your boundaries and really uh, know what's right. Uh, and at the same time, like, like I said, you've got to be proficient. You've got to be competent. You've got to be capable. You've got to be in shape. Like, and you have much higher standards now with, with the upper body requirements and so forth. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of how I reflect. I love hearing stories. I love helping out and, and saying, and just asking clarifying questions and, and helping uh, guide and maybe give good advice most times, but yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's so much, so many good things have changed. I'll, I'll talk about that because like uniforms have gotten better, you know, equipment fits you better, right? Like equipment, we had men equipment and it was, didn't fit you. And it was just terrible when you tried to do a, a rucksack or something, a march, you know, it just, it just was things like that, that were terrible, the masks, the NBC masks. Uh, so there's a lot of great things that the military and department of defense have worked on to, to improve, um, that, you know, what's going on out there. But at the end of the day, it's all these small interactions, right, between people, right? And you have to have the, the skill set, these life skills, you know, to interact. You know, you could be, you could know your trade and you could be very skillful, but if you are not able to interact socially uh, and, and hone those skills on discussions and tough discussions and and going into discussions that in a positive way saying, I see all the positive in this person instead of going into conversations with, oh, I'm going to like this person just did something, you know, that was, you know, you're given an article 15 and I always would go into the, into it. Like, okay, this person is a really good person. They just had a moment where they made a mistake. And I would have NCOs say, why, you know, like you're like, you're, you're not mad at us. And I'm like, no, I'm not mad at you. Like you just made an error. It's like your kids, they make errors. You're not mad at them or they, you know, it's like a moment of mistake. Like, okay, just focus on that. Tell them that, you know, whatever you have to do, uh, whatever level of discipline you have to take. But I try not to be mad at people. I try to be uh, frustrated at the situation and I'm probably going way down another track, but all of it's important on, on how you really carry yourself. So, you know, I always say to Joe, you know, Johanna knows one of the things is everyone's in charge of their own equipment. And something my dad taught me, but it's in this case, you know, you have to be in charge of yourself and you have to like practice things yourself. You have to read and read and, and practice and, you know, rehearse and, you know, all of those things and take each interaction as an opportunity to do better. Right. Um, and that, that's really important. Yeah, one of my favorite things that you say is um, be in charge of your own equipment. So I'm glad you brought that up today, mom. Um, I do want to spend some time talking about family, obviously. As Chandler said, there are five of us total. So I have older John, old brother John, a police officer, and then myself, and then two younger sisters serving in the Army, and then our younger sister Emily is a teacher. So can you talk about what it was like to raise um, five children and have a lifelong career? And then what were some ways that you um, balanced that and, and some of the challenges you faced in, in raising a family and having a, a lifelong career in the Army? Yeah, well, it, it was, uh, it was very challenging. I do remember I'm very blessed with good DNA. So uh, thank God I could keep having babies and figure it out. But I, I think some of the things that really helped is that I made a decision early on. I, you know, when you look at childcare and it has to stop, start at five or six in the morning and end at, you know, 18 or 1900. And then like when I was in the guard, there was always a weekend duty at least once a month, if not more. Uh, I really made a decision early on after trying to take my youngest or my oldest, I should say, John to babysitting, you know, some childcare situation and he'd get sick. And I just made a decision. I was going to try to find a nanny and that, that, that person would come to the house that, that costs a lot more. It costs, but this, the convenience of uh, not only convenience, but just the ability that allowed me to do my job, right? Like how could you, uh, it's just really hard. So that, that was a really expensive decision that, that we made as, as a family, but having folks that come to the house was huge, right? Like, I don't think you ever remember Johanna going to a daycare center because I don't remember taking you one. Um, and, 
it, it's hard. I would, and I would, at the time I would put ads out and I would often get like military spouses, which was really awesome. If I got someone connected to the military and later on, even if I didn't, I'd find a way to get them a DOD uh, ID card so that you can, they could do shopping at the commissary. They can go and take, you know, take them to medical appointments if I had to. And there were just things that you have to like, think of it as a business in a sense, like how do you solve this business problem? Like have someone come in to help fold your clothes and do your laundry. Even if it's a teenage kid that lives next door, who's mowing your lawn, um, you know, all of these pieces and parts, who's taking your car and to get maintenance, you know, it doesn't have to be you, right? Like, that's the thing. It's like, if you can figure out a way to balance this, you know, have the nanny make the dinner. Well, you know, like, I, I know I, I often did it myself, but um, they would often get it started and, and have things ready to go so that I could sit down with, with the family and have a meal, right? That was so important. I really tried to make that happen. So I think one, you got to get in your mind, is this something you want to do? Like, and if you want to do it, then you're going to find pathways forward so that these chores aren't so slovenly. And then you've got to be creative, right? Like you're getting a good paycheck. You're going to have to, you're going to have to give some things up now. So then in the future, uh, you know, things will work out, you know, and things won't be so expensive. So uh, childcare was huge. Is still a huge uh, factor with our military? Uh, it is something that I know that DOD is always working on, but it, there's huge wait lists for childcare. Huge, you know, I, I uh, you know, months and months, right? And they only have a certain capacity. They're never going to serve everybody. So I love that you spoke about that in the way that you did, because I think something that a lot of service women end up confronting and a lot of women outside of the service as well, right, is balancing their career and the expectation of them handling their family obligations but I like that you said it doesn't have to be you so it's not it's not necessarily you also have a partner and then you also have outsourcing there's options and you just have to look at it I think like you said like a business transaction and you also brought up of course the the fact that there are these long wait lists for child care on military installations and that is unfortunate and I think that does impact especially lower ranking service women's ability to take care of their children into to kind of outsource that labor that they have to outsource to, to stay in. So I'd like to kind of pivot the conversation to the work that you're currently doing, um, because I think it's super interesting. And I think there are tie-ins to the issue of gender integration in the context of VA benefits. So could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, I think what's really important um, in the work that I do now is we're really trying to work upstream and get veterans before they come off active duty, right? To connect with their VA benefits and know that they have health care as well. And so it was a lifelong effort of mine um, working with our adjutant general back in the day and then with other staff and, and legislative that, that there's the VOW Act, right? The VOW Act of 2011 uh, requires you to go through transition. But what happens is folks actually don't really get stuff done. You can do your VA claim, start it six months before you get off active duty. And um, a lot of folks just don't do it, right? And so then, and the, the really big impact, the transition point, it's a math formula. I always got to boil it down to math formula because you're making wonderful pay with VHA um, and, and just, you know, you got your free medical, all these hidden costs, right, are paid for, right? And all of a sudden you come off active duty. If you're retired, well, then you're making half of your salary. You don't get the BHA, but you're making half. So that's decent, but it's still not the same. If you're coming off active duty, like many folks do, they, they, they are making zero, like nothing. Right. And so our younger, especially our younger folks, they are, they're not planning. They're not planning out. They're not saving up and they're not impacting it. So the women uh, women that are coming off active duty, you know, they're, and men, right, they all of a sudden find themselves in a very bad math formula, right, uh, you're, you don't have income coming in, the price of living now just even, even now is even escalated higher, there's no health care, so it, if you don't, you can sign up for your VA health care, but the VA health care is only for you as a veteran, right, and the big piece I want to talk about is the benefits piece, you can, if you are ever injured or have an illness on active duty, you know, apply to get your benefits. 
So most of us, I mean, there's very few people that don't get banged up. We have broken bones, illnesses, uh, skin diseases, dental problems. I mean, there's 3,000 plus conditions that you could, uh, you know, say, I, I didn't have this when I entered at 18, right? High blood pressure, cancer, skin problem, heart problems, you name it. I mean, there's so many different things, um, cancers. And so you do this, go through this process of adjudication so that you can then get a certain dollar amount, right? And it's based on the percentages. And so, you know, maybe you're going to be 50% disabled. And that doesn't mean you're 50% broken. That means just the conditions you have, this whole, this whole scale, it's a very complicated scale. But, you know, maybe you're, you're, you're going to be eligible for $1,200 a month. Just say that. Now, if you went and did your work ahead of time and you were able to adjudicate, get your, get your benefits adjudicated, and the month you came off active duty, instead of making $0, you were making $1,200 through a VA, your VA claim, that math problem would be a lot better, right? And so what we find is women, men, they just don't get it done. It just continues to happen. I mean, I, I, we work with people constantly. Um, for women, some of the things that are, are somewhat different, just, you know, gynecology issues, uh, you know, things like that, that did you have this when you were 18? If you didn't, you put it on your VA claim and that's what people don't get. It's not, it's not like a, a freebie. It's like your body has changed, has been impacted, a lot of structural, of course, men and women structural, but I see that those things are going to be significantly more for women. Uh, you're, you're carrying heavy things, you're lifting heavy things, you're doing long road marches and runs and so forth. You have smaller bodies and bones, you're going to have greater structural, you know, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not trying to, but I'm just, you know, being realistic here that you're going to have to really focus in on that and, and make sure you're documenting that, keeping copies of things so that uh, you can you can do that claim work and, and not have this economic situation just impact you. And this is how women find themselves and men living in cars or it's a house surfing, sleeping on the couch, you know, or staying with their moms and dads and, and things like that, uh, which, which is not a bad thing. I don't, and I don't want to say that it is, but you know, like you can help, there's certain things you can do. Again, you got to take care of yourself and you got to make it happen. And uh, am I answering your question Chandler? Because yeah, I, no, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. I think, I think you're drawing attention to something important, which is that they're people are unaware of their benefits and that's important for service members post service. And then also that there are distinct differences at times between men's and women's care, but they are both a result of people being unaware of their benefits, which is, I think, important. Ma'am, would you mind just taking a moment really quick to explain the difference between the state VA and the federal VA just for our listeners so they can kind of understand um, how that relationship works and, and, and what, it, what that means for us practically. Yeah, you know, when you're typically folks always think about the federal VA and, and they're super powerful and awesome organization. And there's three major administrations. There's the federal health administration, the federal benefits administration, and then the federal uh, uh, veterans cemetery administration, right? Because at some point we have a resting home. Uh, so the, the federal government own the benefits, they own the hospitals, they own the medical care, uh, they own things like your GI Bill, right? They own that, they adjudicate that, right? State agencies are out there to kind of be the ombudsman and be the facilitator to help you get those uh, benefits. They often are the agencies that are helping, helping you do a VA claim. So think of it like when you think of a VA claim, think of it uh, as somebody helping you do your taxes, Right. Let's face it, if you don't do your taxes right, guess what? You're not going to get that little payment at the end. But this is the same thing with VA benefits. And that's why we really emphasize getting with uh, a veteran service organization that knows how to do these claims and make sure you uh, get, get everything on there that you deserve. So that's uh, some state agencies have a lot of programs going on. Uh, some, some have less, right? Some, some states have free education if you were a veteran. There's some great states out there like Texas and, and uh, California. There's some great states that have lots and lots of benefits for free education. 
Uh, other states have a lot of programs. So there's uh, programs that, that states can go after. They can go after grants and contracts and serve somewhat almost like I'll say like a nonprofit in a way that they go after these grants and contracts and then they get awarded them. And then they're able to uh, have programs that help veterans in many different ways. Uh, so that's kind of a, it's a big difference. And a lot of times when veterans come back to their, their state, they don't think about, oh, I should get a hold of my state veterans affairs, you know, whether it's Michigan or Minnesota, Pennsylvania, they each have a website, they each have their own benefits and they each have like different um, a spectrum of programs. Thanks for explaining that. I, I think even, even the amount that I know about the VA, like I feel like I learned something new. So, so thanks for explaining that and, and helping us understand kind of the differences and that there are state programs that could help veterans that they might not be aware of and they should, should you know, look into what their state offers versus what the federal VA is offering. Um, and then I, I have a, one more follow-up question about the VA and that would be, what do you think the VA can do to best prepare for the influx of female combat arms officers who potentially have different disability issues than their non-combat MOS counterparts. So kind of going back to what you had said about, you know, women having different, you know, potentially different needs and cares um, in their in their benefits claims. And what do you think that the VA can be doing to prepare? Right, you're right. Okay, so the so VA healthcare is the, is the critical part that I think you wanna focus on. Uh, so with the increase in women and with women now in more, all these different combat roles, uh, lots of lots of heavy weight on your backs and on your body. There's going to be one a sharp increase in women, right? Sharp increase in women who are coming off active duty. So they're going to have to have bigger uh, capacity. Uh, they have done some great things. The VA healthcare system. They uh, most of the most of the VAs have their own VA women clinic, right? So if you don't want to go to a clinic and see other men, they have their own VA women clinic. I've used that for a lot of years. There's uh, there's all been all women clinicians as a primary care nurses. All of the staff is women, so you feel super comfortable, uh, and that's super important because a lot of women experience um, military sexual trauma. They really don't want to see another man, and they definitely don't want to see a man that was a veteran who you know just has you know certain you know you can just tell they got their hat and just what's going on, and it really triggers folks. So. I think that in gynecology, they're, they're trying to really expand there. Uh, but again, just increasing the number of, of competent and capable uh, practitioners that women need uh, is going to be important. We try on our side with veteran service officers to have women veteran service officers, because obviously if you have a whole list of conditions, do you really want to tell a man about that to put it on your VA claim? not, you don't really, might not feel comfortable with it. I was very fortunate when I came out, I could be a very competent woman, a veteran service officer that was able to like, you know, I was able to say whatever, you know, whatever condition it was. And then she went through my records and was like, wow, you have TMJ. Oh, that's a, that's a thing. You know, do you know, women just constantly grit their teeth and most women have TMJ. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Put that one on there, but she, and it was other things she found. So so cultural competency or having competency for women, LGBTQ, all of that is super important. And I, I know the VA has is, is been stepping up and continuing to expand that uh, is going to be really important. And, and they're on the right track for sure. They're definitely on the right track. They're definitely looking at that. Uh, but again, women, you know, you get the briefing, you get the mandatory briefing at the end of your tour, right? You can sign up for VA healthcare. How many do? I, I mean, I've had really competent women say, well, Mary, I signed up for my VA benefits and I got my benefits coming in, but I never, I, I, I don't know what to do with my VA healthcare. Well, that's because it's a separate thing. You got to go over to the VA healthcare and get your ID card and, you know, you, got, you can go online and, and enroll. So it's just, it, it's just so much out there for women and I, I it's just going to be continued, but you can advocate, you, 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 you know, women coming off active duty. Did you do your claim, even if it was just small things, because small things like broken bones turn, you know, arthritic, is that the right word? You know, you get, you know, it gets really bad, you know, 20 or 30 years from now. So you might be able to go back and say, can I up that, uh, up that. And, and the other really important thing 
if you have a claim and uh, you can get a reduction of your VA home loan fee to zero if you have a, a, a VA uh, disability adjudicated uh, claim. So, you know, hey, did anyone know that? No, because people just don't know. They don't know what they don't know. And uh, I'll stop there, but I'm passionate about this, as you can see. No, this is super helpful. This is great for me. This I feel like I'm getting a, a good debrief because I, I'm getting out, so I'm on terminal leave right now. So. <laughs> This is perfect timing for me specifically. I also yeah. liked uh, that you talked about the the option to have female care providers because I think uh, we have another episode about uh, sexual harassment and assault within the military. So I think in the context of military sexual trauma, which I think the VA is doing a good job of trying to make sure they provide disability benefits for that, that, that might be something that people are particularly interested in. Um, in that context. Absolutely. They've done a, a really great job. Again, it, it takes that person that seeks that out and gets that help, right? And starts asking questions or even like uh, the VA has chiropractic care, but if you don't ask for it, you know, uh, they're not going to give you a referral to off base, you know, uh, eye care. Uh, they, you can get glasses if you're over 50%, 50% and, you know, because sometimes it's by how much you make and things like that. But if you're over 50%, you can get free eye care. Uh, eyeglasses. So there's things like that that are out there that are could help and man or woman. And uh, and now they're doing a lot of telehealth visits for, you know, everything from, you know, the mental health to primary care. So their engagement uh, and their delivery ser service has really, really stepped up and they're really been focused on that customer service, that cultural competency, right? You know, you don't want to you know, go to a provider and they don't even understand what, like the difference between infantry or, you know, medical, you know, you just, it just like kind of turns you off. Like, well, why would you tell somebody about like a tragic, you know, trauma that you had if they can't even like understand it. Right. So, so it's super important. Uh, we work, you know, we see, see folks really getting that now. Uh, the VA has a great program that they, a public private partnership called etssponsorship.com. And uh, really trying to work upstream and work with uh, our, our men and women who are coming off active duty and connect them with a, with a, a sponsor really in the community they're going to, to help have these conversations early, right? Like I could probably talk to you, Chandler, and in like 10 minutes, you'd learn more than you ever did in like how many, how many hours and days of briefings that you went through. You know, because you get to waterline and you just, you, you just, you just can't comprehend it. But like, you, talk to somebody, put it in perspective, and also talk to you at the moment that you need it. So ETS sponsorship is is a VA uh, partnership with uh, ETSsponsorship.com, um, and it's really uh, seated in helping, really helping folks like you, right? Uh, connect to your benefits afterwards. Connect to the community connect to whatever you need to, maybe it's employment, maybe it's just encouragement, maybe it's just like, where should I, where, where in the neighborhood is a great school? What about healthcare? What, where do I take my kids to eye care? You know, I mean, um, just yesterday, the neighbors asking me questions about that kind of stuff here, here, here where I live in um, Washington. So anyway, I'll stop there, but it, there is so much more to be done, but the VA has been doing a great job and is looking for this new business model to help engage uh, so that it's, and then it gives you empowered, right? The veterans empowered, they're empowered to talk to the sponsor. It's got a great platform. Uh, and, and then, you know, it, it, it just gives folks uh, flexibility. Uh, it's high touch, high tech, I like to say, right? I think, I, I think that's really a cool program too, because the army has that that, that exists for all service members. When you transition to a new base, you have like, you have to enroll in the mentorship program or, you know, your sponsor. And then that's the person that's supposed to like sponsor you into the new unit. And, and, and in some places it works well, in some places it doesn't. But I think that the point being that that exists in the military and active duty day-to-day -day side. Um, and so I think it's great that you're bringing that to the off, you know, off active duty personnel, the veterans. So they kind of have that kind con that continuity. Um, I think that's really important and, and super powerful. So um, really appreciate your conversation on this. This has been super, super enlightening, um, even for me who grew up with it. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you asking the hard questions and, and interviewing a whole bunch of folks to see what you know, what folks can learn and, and women can help uh, pave 
the way forward and we can achieve greater success. Yeah, thank you so much. For, it was so nice to meet you. It's so nice to meet the woman who raised Joe. Uh, I, don't, I think I'm good on questions. I think that this was super helpful, both your personal experience and your current experience and the benefits that women can kind of seek out as the demographics of female service members and veterans might change. So thank you so much for all of your insight. Thank you so much. I really appreciate having you today. Awesome. Very powerful. You are, you are the leaders of the future. Hey folks, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please rate and review, subscribe and save. We want to reach as many people as possible and these small things make a huge difference in expanding our audience. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.